0: I sing a song of the saints of God, patient and brave and true, who toiled and fought and lived and died for the Lord they loved and knew. And one was a doctor, and one was a queen, and one was a shepherdess on the green, they were all of the saints of God, and i
1: need God help me to be one, too. Hello, and welcome to Tea Time Theology. I'm your host for this episode, Taylor Wilkie, and today our guest is the Reverend Tim Rich, Rector of St. Luke's Church in East Greenwich. Welcome, Tim. Taylor, it's great to be with you. Thanks so much for inviting me. It's our pleasure to have you. Um, so, this season... Of tea time theology, we're talking about uh, maybe lesser known characters from the Bible. Obviously, we have like the like the big big names like Jesus, Peter, who, Mary. I'm sorry, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, okay, yeah. Right. Um, Heard of them but, all? Yeah, but uh, we want to take a look at more of the, like I said, the lesser known characters. And when I prompted you, uh, you picked uh, Naomi and Ruth.
2: I, I did. I did. You know, first of all, the sad reality about scripture is that almost all of the female characters in scripture are the ones that fall under the heading of lesser known. Naomi and Ruth in our Hebrew scriptures, they are such a rich story. Ruth is is. is the only book in the Hebrew Scriptures that's actually named after a woman. And, and the characters are, are fascinating, wonderful, faithful studies. And the story, although brief, is, um, is jam-packed. And so uh, they came right to mind when you, when you asked me. So think of a couple characters you'd like to talk about
1: the story of ruth or the, the the book of ruth
2: the book of ruth right it's
1: right? it, 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 it's a roller coaster it is it's it a is. very it's a really fun roller coaster ride right and you just mentioned it before just to orient ourselves i guess the first question is when does the story of ruth take place
2: so scholars aren't exactly sure with all of these stories there's kind of a window right but you know the best guess is somewhere around 1200 bc give or take a couple of hundred um, it, it follows on the book of Judges, and the, there's a reference to the time of Judges. Mm. Um, that was a time for the, the Israelites when there were no kings. There were only judges that kind of ruled over the, the, the different tribes, the different lands, and, and frankly, ruled in some pretty morally bankrupt ways. Um, and, and so um, in an unspoken way, the book of Ruth, represents not only God's um, uh, reaction to disobedience, that's unspoken as well, but also God's faithfulness to a covenant that God has made with God's people that spans generations and generations and generations. And so um, at the risk of, of, of a spoiler alert, the blessings that conclude the book of Ruth represent that if... That if we but remain hopeful and, and faithful in our relationship with God, no matter the roller coaster, to use your phrase, no matter the roller coaster of life, God will indeed bless us. So we'll get to the details of that. But um, the time frame, again, is when judges ruled over the land, and, and it's around 1200 BC.
1: So you're saying that the judges acted more, more like governors? Over the land at the time?
2: Well, there weren't kings. Um, And so, yeah, they were the rulers. They enforced the laws. Um, They were the ones that sort of Presided over the the faith covenant that um, the the ancestors of of Naomi um, had established with with God. Now I say the ancestors of Naomi because Ruth was not a part of of the tribe, which mm. is which is one of the the, the wonderful and, and rich details. Um, about the relationship between these two women, we we can get to the sort of the story evolution when when you want to, but um, but it was Naomi who represented the Israelites and and who was the um, the original part of the covenant before we get to Ruth and and the, the the events that followed.
1: So you say that Ruth and Naomi were not of the same tribe, and in the book it it mentions that Ruth is of. Uh... Of Moab.
2: Right. She's a Moabite.
1: What is a, a Moabite?
2: Well, well, let me do a little bit of a, of a backstory even before we get to the Moabite, if I might, um, if that's okay with you. you sure, Na- Naomi, is from actually Bethlehem, um, a, a little village that um, will get some pretty significant play later on in the, in the Christian story, right? Um, and, and so she marries um, another gentleman from Bethlehem, and then famine strikes the land, mm. and they're forced to move. And they leave, um, they leave land that is inhabited by the fellow Israelites. And they go to the land of Moab, um, which is um, a land of, of a different god and a land of different practices. And, and so they are aliens in this land. Um, they go uh, seeking food because they're, they're desperate. Right? Um, and, and they go also with two sons. So there they are living in the land of Moab, and, and first the father dies, Naomi's husband dies. And, and so now it's the two boys and Naomi. The boys look to marry. Mm. And this is where Ruth comes in. They each marry um, a woman of Moabite tradition, Ruth and Orpah. And so there's a a marriage across cultures that happens here, which, you know, as we still wrestle with marriages across cultures today, it was even more strained and difficult and challenging back in in these biblical days. Mm. Um, So Ruth is a Moabite. Moabites did not worship the God, the Abba, the Yahweh, the God of the Abrahamic covenant. They worshiped their own gods. And in, in all these ways, um, it, it was a reach um, for um, Ruth to be now considered a part of Naomi's family. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, as the story goes, after Ruth marries into the family, well, her husband, in fact, both of the sons died, um, leaving Ruth and Orpah with Naomi. And now it is the three women in Moab um, who are without resources and without husbands. And um, as is the sad case of a patriarchal society, that really means that they're without power or resource Mm. or opportunity.
1: I want to rewind a little bit through what you just said. Sure. You mentioned that uh, Ruth is from Moab and that the the Moabites didn't believe in uh Yahweh. Right. In the, um, right. Does does their deity have a name? Do we know what that deity was? And how did and how did that deity differ from the one that Ruth uh sorry, uh, Naomi and her husband were worshipping and eventually became the Deity that we worship today.
2: Yeah, that. So there is a, 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 a God, small g, as opposed to uppercase G, there is a deity of sorts. Frankly, I can't remember the name um, of the Moabite um, deity, but um, you know, it was considered sort of a, a, a pagan god, um, and and so there were sacrifices. Um, uh, and offerings to this pagan god. Mm. Um, Truth be told, uh, oftentimes oftentimes some of the practices that were pagan actually in some ways had some parallels with practices that were of the Judeo-Christian tradition. That is to say offerings, burnt sacrifices, things like that. Um, But nonetheless, the, the most important element is that we're not talking about the god of the Abrahamic covenant. That's really that's really interesting.
1: We're gonna spend a lot of time talking about Naomi and Ruth, okay. obviously, because okay. they're the main things. Yeah, but there's this tangential character that like is in it, but then just like goes away, and right. that and that's or- Orpha. Yeah, what do we know about her other than that she was married to Naomi's son, and then she just left for wherever.
2: Yeah, that's a great question, and and um, <laughs> frankly, it can be answered in a few words, which is not much, at, not much at all. But let's 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 give her some credit. So it's actually um, multiple times um, after all the men have died that that um, uh, Naomi releases her daughters-in-law. Um, Naomi senses that there is no future for them um, in Moab, um, and no- Naomi is determined to return back to Bethlehem. It's been somewhere in the span of 10 years, the the story goes, that they've been in Moab, and, and it's time to go back, at least according to Naomi, because if Probably she's thinking if she's going to be miserable anywhere, she might as well be miserable in her hometown, right? Yeah. So she says, I'm going to go back, and you, you ladies, you go back. You, you go back to your people and your families in Moab. And she really does it out of tremendous generosity. She says, There's no future here with me. I'm not going to have any more sons. And of course, she doesn't have any wealth or resources. So once she says, You go back. And both Ruth, and uh, um, Orpah, they both actually decline. Naomi says again, no, 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 go back, go on, go back. Um, and it's the second time. So to, to give Orpah a little bit of credit, um, she refuses the first time, but it is the second time after Naomi again makes the case, there is no future for you with mm. me, that she agrees. And, and so she departs, and we never hear anything about her again. That's that's the end, and 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 so um, um, we can only guess that she returns to um, uh, her Moabite family, and she returns to the land of Moab, and and um, we can imagine um, without any blemish on her character, other than the fact that she was once married. Mm. Um, we can imagine that a, um, a, a, a suitor was found for her. Um, much in the same ways that a suitor eventually stepped forward for for Ruth. But again, that's farther down the story.
1: Okay. So uh, Naomi says, you know, don't hang out with me anymore. Get out of here. And one of her daughter-in-laws says, no, I think I'll stick around. And that's Ruth. Right. And they jump on some type of transportation, I'm guessing, and they take a ride off to Bethlehem, like you said, um, a little town that no one's, uh, I'm sure it won't come up again. Yeah.
2: Um. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little backwater town.
1: Yeah. On their way through the desert, Naomi, I guess, makes it a point to mention that they're riding past the mountain where Moses dies before Israelites enter the promised land. Is that right? Um, or did YouTube uh, fail me?
2: Yeah, that actually doesn't appear, I don't believe, anywhere in the text. Although, boy, I, I don't want to necessarily go toe-to-toe with, with YouTube. But as I look at the text... Um, there's not much much detail um, about the the return to Bethlehem. Although I do want to, I do want to just pause mm-hmm. a minute longer. Okay. Um, uh, and sorry if I'm jumping um, the rails here, Taylor. It's okay. But, I love it. But but frankly, before they make it back to Bethlehem, we get words from Ruth that, as I was thinking about it, I think the only more more beautiful. And more faithful and uh, words um, uh, come from Mary in, in what we now call the Magnificat. Mm-hmm. Um, the third time that, that Naomi tries to release Ruth, and, and Ruth says to her, do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. And then she says, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge your people shall be my people, and your God, my God, where you die, I will die, there will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well. If, if you and, and your listeners um, can hear in, in, in their mind's ear a bit of the Magnificat, and Mary, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. And those words, I I, I hear very much the same selflessness, the same dedication, the same faith, the same courage um, in Ruth's response to Naomi. Um, All of this before they get back to Bethlehem. Um, But I don't see in in the text, I don't see any... um, any indication that that they that they pause for a little sightseeing, where um, where where Moses um, came down with the with the tablets. Um, the next thing we hear is just that they came to Bethlehem, mm. and and Naomi um, suggests that she be renamed. Um, but we can get to that whenever you want. Well, that's actually up next. Okay. So it's okay. The perfect
1: timing. Um, so Naomi gets to um, Bethlehem, and she changes her name. To Mara, um, yeah. But then it it seems as though that she's just continually after she, she kind of just says that, and then after that, it's everyone still refers to her as Naomi. Yeah. Um. So, uh, first question, I guess, is uh, why would she make? Why would she change her name like that? Right. And the second question is why did the name not stick through the rest of the through the book?
2: Yeah. This is this is where where um uh. Too often, when I read scripture uh, the first time, I miss some of the richness and color and character. Uh, and I think this is an example of where, where that can happen easily for anyone who's just reading it once. And so, so Naomi returns to Bethlehem, right? And, and um, scripture says, uh, the women of the town kind of greet her. Mm. Um, so imagine she's been gone for 10 years. She took along with um, her husband, she took a little bit of a risk because there was a famine in Bethlehem, and so, okay, so imagine that that there's some 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 opinion, some judgment mm. about that. We are not living in the first century of judgmentalism and and so there's some opinion and judgment about that and then and then they've gone, and for ten years they've been in in Moab. Her husband has died and her sons have died. And so, again, in their tradition, think about the book of Job where he loses so much and his friends think, huh, well, what did you do to anger God? Mm-hmm. You know, the judgment comes out about clearly you deserved these these um, terrible events. Um, so these women, you know, these questions about, hey, so, Naomi, what's up? How you been? A, hey, that question might not be so innocent. Well, it's not great. But. Um, it, <laughs> right. I mean, true enough, they didn't have emails or Facebook, so they, yeah. didn't, they, they may not have known. But I'm, I'm going to guess that they also may have known. And so, and so behind the question, um, it's not quite as innocuous. So that's the first thing. The second thing is... Because in, in printed words we can't hear tone, mm. we can't be for sure about this. But hear these words spoken from Naomi with um, a tone that is, is anywhere from cranky to bitter to angry. She would have been feeling quite likely like, like God's totally abandoned her. Like like God has visited one curse after another on her, and not unlike Job, she would have been a little bit like, woe is me. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and, and so here in, here in her um, response, just that, that, that crankiness, that bitterness. And so she is saying, well, you, you might as well call me Mara. Like you and I might say, well, yeah, you might as well call me loser. Mm. You might as well call me sad sack. She's giving herself a different name to capture not only an emotional tone, her bitterness, but to some degree, um, there's a little bit of accusation or theology in it because it's suggesting that God has, mm, well at the very least, abandoned her, and perhaps even worse, cursed her. Mm-hmm. So that's her sort of... Um, um, Interpretation of her yeah, situation? Yeah, and her crankiness. It's not like in, in other places of Scripture. It's not like where Saul gets renamed by by God and by the voices of heaven, Paul, because a new, a new ministry and a new mission and identity and purpose is taking shape. It's not like that renaming... It's really um, just, just Naomi's sort of um, um, somewhat acerbic and harsh personality coming out. And she's like, yeah, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, because, you know, my life, my life stinks. Uh, um, and that's why it doesn't stick as well, um, um, because no one does call her Mara. And, oh, by the way... Um, As hard as this return to Bethlehem might be, it's not the end of the story. Mm. Her life gets better. So
1: Mara and Ruth are back at home, uh, or back in Bethlehem. And
2: And you can call her Naomi. Her friends called her Naomi. Okay.
1: Yeah, really. No one Uh, else
2: called her Mara. She was just calling herself that.
1: And I guess they're getting hungry. Yep. This is chapter two. Yep. And they're like, hey, we got to do something about food. Yeah. And one part of research I did, it's it, it kind of alluded to the fact that Ruth uh, went to work for somebody. But then a more, I guess, I guess from what I thought, a more scholarly source said it was more of like uh, scavenging.
2: Yeah. The, the, the latter is closer to the truth. Um, um, first of all, they would have returned likely to the family property. Mm-hmm. Only there's been a famine, and so the property I'm sure is yielding nothing, mm. right? And and it's actually um, uh, reflective of just how Ru- Ruth is not just loyal to her mother-in-law, but she's engaged. I mean, she's she's hardworking. She's she's always she's always scrapping, um, and so so. They're hungry. There are no men around. There are no brothers around to work the land. Food is not plentiful. And so Ruth says, all right, I'm going to go follow around these people in a field, and I'm going to pick up the remnants. Mm. I'm going to pick up the remnants that they don't pick up. So they're picking up the major—they're harvesting the major grains of wheat. Mm. But there's always a little remnants um, that that fall behind. And so— Imagine Ruth spotting a field that looks pretty plentiful mm. um, and just deciding okay, I'm gonna pick up the scraps um, hard work, bold work mm. um, risky work because because she could have been um, she could have been um, assaulted, she could have been um, abused, she could have been um simply turned away from that field from following them mm. but um but she dares go pick up the scraps yeah. um and and that begins to fill out Ruth's not only loyal personality but but her her you know bold personality mm. too yeah let's um
1: let's rewind a little bit back to to uh, Moab okay were Naomi and her husband and her sons, were they like a well-off, in a well-off way in Moab? And then obviously all the men died and right. then they weren't all of a sudden. But like, is, is that like, like how far is the fall for Ruth to the field? Is I guess what I'm yeah, asking. Yeah,
2: no, that's a great question. And so we can only infer that Naomi and her husband were essentially, they were immigrants to Moab maybe even refugees, although mm. not political refugees as much as refugees from a famine, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, so they would not have been seen as impressive characters, nor even their sons. In fact, there might have been some tension and hostility from the Moabites directed at, at these Israelites. So, so we, don't, we don't really know a lot about Ruth. Um, uh, in terms of her family of origin. But, but we can imagine that if she, is, if she is agreeing to marry an Israelite, then they do not have status such that she's been married off to one of the local rising stars, right? She's, she's actually sort of marrying some guy from the other side of the tracks, so when you ask how far has she fallen, mm. um, I, I would say that, it, that it's how, how often has she fallen. First, mm. to some degree, according to her land and culture, she has fallen by marrying an Israelite. And then to some degree, um, she has fallen because she's lost her husband. And oh, by the way, she's lost her husband without providing him any children, which was seen mm. as the most significant provision that a wife could make for her husband. So in some ways, um, she's really left Moab, if not in disgrace, and certainly then in disappointment. Mm. Um, And so now she's back in Bethlehem where she's the alien, Mm. right? Yeah. Um, So her, her sense of stature has dropped even further, right? Because... Israelites didn't didn't particularly care for the Moabites that came any more than the Moabites mm. appreciated the Israelites who came into Moab. And of course, she's a widower uh, or a widow and childless. And so, you know, this is a woman who doesn't have a lot farther to fall,
0: mm.
2: who doesn't have much to lose, which is why she's like, well... The heck with my reputation. I've got to provide for this house, household. Mm. I've got to provide for Naomi, mm. who is my mother. Um, and she, she's bold enough to, to go out into the fields and, and do just that. Mm.
1: Great. Um, so now she's in the fields. She's uh, scourging for whatever's left over. Um, and that's where we kind of meet uh, Boaz. Correct. Who is related just so happens.
2: A near kin is because, the language. Yeah, because, yes.
1: like because you know, plot, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I know it makes um, for a good plot. Yeah. Um, but there's
2: importance to this yeah. relation, but um, we'll, we'll talk about and, that later. And,
1: and what is the importance to the relation between uh, Boaz and Naomi? Why, why, Why are they related, I guess, in a... Literary sense. I yeah. Guess
2: I'm yeah. No, that's that's a great way to frame it because I was going to say there there's importance that is both theological, mm. and then there's importance that is both legalistic. Mm. So you just asked why are they related in a literary sense? Mm. It is because um, the sacred texts, Hebrew scriptures, and the Christian scriptures mm. are very mindful about genealogy. Okay. Very mindful about genealogy. And so it is important that Naomi and her sons and Boaz all have a genealogy that goes all the way back to, like, Genesis Mm. and the birth of the tribes. Okay. Um, And, again, it's a genealogy that will have real legs as we... Um, when we get around to talking about the future that come from this, right. this family. Right. I won't spoil that uh, at this time. Okay. But so from a literary purpose, yeah. genealogy is an important thing. From a legalistic purpose, mm-hmm. um, as we see in chapter three, um, that next of kin gives, um, gives Boaz a legal right to claim both the land of Naomi and the property of Naomi, which I'm sorry to say, especially for uh, the women who are listening, which includes Ruth herself. Oh, we'll unpack that a little bit more later. I can unpack it now. Oh, let's unpack it now. Well, well, okay. I mean, so, so um, uh, again, because women had no no standing on their own, absent from the men to whom they were connected or married. While Naomi retained sort of rights to the the, the property that she and her husband um, had had inhabited before leaving, it, it's just waiting to be claimed by a rightful kin mm. right and that property includes the land it would have included livestock but but who knows if they' returned with any livestock given their travels but then again, according to, to Jewish law. Um, it, it also includes daughters-in-law. Um, if if there is no son born, mm-hmm. then uh, and the and the daughter-in-law um, loses her husband, mm-hmm. then then the sort of custom and culture and law was that she um, she could be married to, and I would dare say whether she wanted to or not, mm-hmm. she could be married to the closest and next of kin.
1: Mm. And,
2: and so this next of kin business becomes a matter of legal importance as well as as legacy.
1: Okay.
2: Um but Boaz was not the closest next of kin. Now that that gets revealed at the end of, of chapter three, I think it is, or maybe yeah. at the beginning of chapter four. But um but let's talk a little bit more about what happens when right. when Ruth goes into the fields and starts um starts just collecting the scraps because that's where we meet boaz and and that's where um fortunes begin to change and and kindness and goodness begin to to emerge
1: yeah so uh, uh ruth meets boaz um he's all like hey i'm boaz and she's all like hey i'm ruth and like
2: you. It's not, it's not quite that flirtatious <laughs> uh-huh. yet, okay. um, but, but you're definitely picking on some of the, some of the undercurrent. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'd love to know um, what was in the back of Boaz's mind mm. um, at this early juncture. Right. Um, um, we know what becomes at the forefront of Naomi's mind and then by extension Ruth's in the, in the in the chapters to come but 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 bottom line is this um uh ruth is spotted kind of collecting on boaz's fields Mm. the scraps and 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 who knows i mean the the cynical part of me um imagines that had ruth not been um, lovely in to the eyes of Boaz just mm. as you're suggesting he might not, not have dealt with her so so graciously mm. what we know is that he sees her <clears throat> and something something moves him mm. to essentially find out who who's that woman out in mm. the field he asks he asks around about her mm. and then he hears the story of her loyalty to Naomi. He hears the story that she was the daughter-in-law to Naomi, that her husband has died, and that rather than returning to Moab to um to 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 seek future um stability, she has remained loyal to Naomi. He hears that Ruth has dealt with Naomi in an incredibly generous, gracious, loving, loyal way. And so so he he, he, is, he, is, he is warmed by that. He is heartened by that, and that's why and that's why he he says, uh, "Okay, then you know what? I'm gonna take care of you. You can continue to come to this field. You can mm-hmm. continue to um, the the um, the word is um, glean. You can you can continue to pick up the scraps." And he goes farther to say. And I will, tell, I will tell my people to leave you alone, mm. which, has, which has layers of significance. Mm. Leave you alone, not just in terms of driving you off the field, but also I'm going to tell my, my guys to leave you alone in terms of putting their hands on you. Okay. Okay. Um, which would not have been uncommon if a woman is out there working in the field, a strange woman with with men, um, uh, she would have been in some pretty significant danger. And so Boaz says, um, "No, I'm gonna I'm gonna get the word out to my workers. Let this woman stay, and glean, and and also um, leave her alone." Mm. Um, we don't know if that's Born out of sort of romantic intentions, or just the the kindness, the the goodness of uh, of, of of Boaz's heart, um, but that's what he's that's what he does, and it's for ten years, I think it's ten years, or at least for many many years that that arrangement persists. Oh, okay. He says, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to the people that you did not know before. May the Lord reward you for your deeds. By the way, um, that would not have been lost in terms of the, the, the Hebrew understanding about how the, the Lord rewards us for our deeds. That's a part mm. of the theology of that. And so she stays. And she goes home and she tells her mom. And, and her mom's like, this is, this is great. Mm. Um, and that's when her mom says, oh, by the way, that, that guy, he's a, he's a near kin. Mm. That's when we find out that he's a near kin. Yeah.
1: She calls him a redeemer.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, he is. Yeah, he is.
1: So eventually, Ruth, like you know, uh, Boaz takes and takes a sleep in the field where he's working, I guess. Um, and Ruth comes to visit him, and at that point. It the things really start moving along.
2: Well, well, they do, and 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 again, the the devil's in the details. Mm. So, so imagine that the harvest is is about concluded. So it's not been ten years. It, it was ten years that they were in in Moab. It, it, it's been enough time <clears throat> for the harvest to conclude, right?
1: Mm.
2: And so there's a there's a reaping festival. So so um, uh, at the beginning of chapter three. Uh, Naomi says to her daughter-in-law, my daughter, I need to seek some security for you so that it may be well with you. So good intentions there. Mm. And then <laughs> Naomi plots. Naomi schemes. Um, and, and, and here's the scheme. Now, here is our kinsman Boaz with whose young women you've been working. See, he was winnowing in the field. And so she says, so there's going to be a big party. There's going to be a lot of eating and drinking. So she tells her, put on your finest clothes, bathe, anoint yourself, like get yourself all dolled up, right? Mm-hmm. And and just wait and watch. Don't don't mess with him, don't flirt with him while the party's going on. Cuz she she's thinking if this party ends like many, mm-hmm. he's gonna he's gonna eat, he's gonna drink, he's gonna fall asleep, and so then she says, so once he falls asleep, then go and lay next to him, and uncover his feet, which oh my goodness, not to do, not a strange woman with mm. um, a strange man, not to have uncovered feet. Go and uncover his feet, and. And, and wait until he wakes up.
1: Mm.
2: It, you want me to go on? Because well, there's I, some I, richness to this. Yeah,
1: yeah I, I mean, yes. Please continue. But then I have a follow-up question after that.
2: Okay. <laughs> All right. So, so, so what she's trying to concoct here, Taylor, mm-hmm. is, is, um, is a moment where to some degree, um, uh, to some degree, Boaz... Is placed in an uncomfortable situation, so he's asleep. Naomi, uh, I'm sorry. Ruth lays next to him, uncovers his feet. He wakes up, and and he it, it, he doesn't remember. Like, oh my goodness, who are you? Because he's forgotten who she is. Um, who are you, and what are you doing here? And even though he doesn't say this in the back of his mind, he's thinking. And what have I done to you? And so suddenly, in this moment, his own reputation is in jeopardy. Mm. His own image is called into question. He's afraid. Man, does anyone know that I just did this? What I don't know what I did, but what if I did what I might have done? And here my feet are naked in front of this strange woman, and, and what have I done? And so, so now he's kind of mm. a little bit on the hook to to figure out a way right Mm. and what's what is either super crafty yeah or another example of of ruth's um thoughtfulness she says don't worry so just put your cloak over me Mm. no one will see me no one needs to know i'm here now, we only have these words on the page. Right. And so we don't know whether it's all part of the grand scheme or whether it's Ruth really trying to sort of save this guy, the embarrassment. But she gives him a way out for whatever reason, mm. right? And he says, oh, oh, my goodness, you are a worthy woman. I knew that before because I knew you were loyal to your mother-in-law. Yeah, And here you are again proving... Your, your your decency, your kindness. In fact, the word that is used gets translated into almost like a sacred kindness. And so he looks with favor upon her. Um, and, and then things go even more deeply. But you said you wanted to ask a follow-up question. So I just wanted to make sure that, yeah. that, the, that, the, <laughs> that the tension between... Um, that these events are not um, random occurrences; mm-hmm. they are events that that um, are born out of Naomi looking at Ruth and thinking somehow I need to create some security for you, and then coaching Ruth into how to, um, frankly, exploit this moment when she is imagining that Boaz is gonna is gonna be, be drunk and and passed out, and and then how to turn that into leverage. And then how to turn that leverage into security.
1: Okay. Great. Um, I get, my question is, is definitely off topic. Okay. Right? Um, but it, it occurs to me, there's a lot of talk about feet in the Bible. <laughs> um, and I guess I didn't realize it until just now why so much talk about feet in the bible why like oh everyone's like whenever someone touches someone's feet it's always like a huge thing yeah or like i'm not worthy to touch his feet i'm not worthy to do uh this stuff like what's going on what is the symbolism behind um the apprehension to interacting with someone's feet
2: well let me ask you um uh Whose feet do you touch these days? Well, my wife's. I well, guess. anyone else's? No. That's a good answer, okay. especially if she listens to these yeah. recordings. So it's, it's not that dissimilar. You know, feet are seen as kind of an intimate part of our body. Mm. And, and, and um, <clears throat> first of all, in those days, they also were seen as, as um, uh, one of uh, our, our sort of most unclean. Part of our bodies, um, and so because of the concerns around cleanliness, well, don't touch someone's unclean body parts. But also, they were seen as just really intimate parts of her body. Mm. Which, which you know, really fast fast forwarding, but you probably have this in the back of your mind when when the woman um, anoints Jesus's feet yeah. with her tears. It is scandalous on so many mm. levels. Um, but there is an intimacy and a tenderness um, to, to uh, one's feet that really should be reserved for the most intimate and tender of relationships. Okay.
1: Okay. Well, back to the story at okay. hand. Meanwhile, <laughs> well, back to the story at hand. Um, at one point, there is a second suitor yep. that appears. Yep. Um, and he rejects Ruth eventually right now who is this guy yep um and I from what I understand he he rejects her based on the fact that she is from Moab which means that there is some kind of beef there between sure the uh the Israelites and the Moabites yep uh can we talk about what that beef is do we know what it is is it just because they they worship a different
2: deity or is okay Okay, so, so lots lots of, of information to unpack in, in yeah. that. Um, um, I'll work backwards actually. So, so again, I mean, look, religious beefs mm. from the beginning of time have been heated beefs, yeah, right? Um, Whether we're talking about the the Moabites and the Israelites, whether we're talking about Jews and Christians or or Muslims, whether we're talking about, you know, Catholics and Protestants, um, um, those cultural tensions run deep Mm -hmm. and sometimes quite hot. Um, So to some degree, um, uh, Ruth might have not been a wholly attractive candidate for claiming because of her Moabite ancestry. But, but, now let's, let's loop back around to the introduction of this guy. Yeah. So, so um, uh, Boaz s- thinks about it a little bit. The whole experience with waking up next to Ruth and her kindness and goodness. Ruth goes home, tells Naomi what's happened. And Na- Naomi says, he's going to make it right. Just you wait. And in fact, he does. But here's what he's got to do. He says to Ruth, "So I actually am not the the closest next of kin. Hmm. There's a there's a pecking order of sorts okay. um, about who gets to um, claim the rights to the property and to you. Uh, I do not in any way mean to trivialize um, the the horrors of this kind of." patriarchy with this example i'm about to i'm about Mm -hmm. to to give but i know you love sports and i love sports so it's like you know when a a team releases a player and puts them on waivers you know there's a pecking order about who gets first dibs right yeah so it's the same as it as it relates to 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 kinship um uh although in this particular time um the closer the kin gets first rights so boaz says so i'm actually not your closest kin there's a closer kin and and um uh he goes to that um closer kin and he introduces the closer kin to ruth and to the story of naomi and ruth and to the property um and and according to law he takes witnesses, ten men. Mm-hmm. This this is at the beginning of chapter four, and they all sit around in a circle. And this is this is um, this is a quite a quite legalistic process, right? Mm-hmm. And so he says to the closest of kin, like, okay, you have first rights of refusal. And he introduces the closest of kin to to Ruth, and the closest of kin knows about the property. And actually, I'm sorry, he he introduces the closest of kin first Mm -hmm. to Naomi and and, and the property, Mm -hmm. not to Ruth. Sorry. And and, Because it's an important distinction. And so actually, the closest of kin is like, yeah, I'll claim this property. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll take this. The closest of kin says, I will redeem it. This is... Chapter 4, verse 4. Then Boaz said, the day you acquire the field from the hand of Naomi, you also are acquiring Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead man, to maintain the dead man's name on his inheritance. This is law, Mm -hmm. right? So so Boaz first says, do you want the property? Mm -hmm. God's like, "Mm, yeah, that sounds great. And then he says, Oh, by the way, when you acquire the property, you you acquire Ruth as well. And that's when the most immediate next of kin backs out. And he says, oh, no, no, no. I cannot redeem it for myself without damaging my own inheritance. Now, that's the language we get. I don't know if if his inheritance would be damaged Mm. because he's got another mouth to feed. In Ruth or whether it would be damaged because his reputation might be damaged marrying a Moabite okay we don't get we don't get any more information on that all we know is that this most immediate next of kin after learning that Ruth comes along with Naomi's property Mm -hmm. backs out of the deal leaving Boaz as the next guy in line to claim property and to rightfully marry mm-hmm. Ruth.
1: So this other guy uh takes off leaves the picture. Mm-hmm. Boaz steps in and marries Ruth. Right. Uh everyone lives happily ever live after. One thing leads to another and a guy rises from the dead um and saves her wood souls. Um <laughs> yeah, uh, that's the cliff note version. Yeah. Um and uh I guess I guess my my next question is whose bloodline in this situation is the most important is it ruth or is it boaz because the idea is that there's 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 a direct bloodline correct um, from ruth and boaz from naomi sorry is the
2: bloodline with ruth or is the bloodline with boaz and naomi so that question of whose bloodline is significant like 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 every question as it relates to the Hebrew Scriptures has a theological significance, mm. right? Um, and then has a, oh, has a has a has a has a more um, moral significance. Mm. What do I mean? So theologically, so what happens after Boaz and Ruth marry is that they then have a child, and and Naomi ends up being the great great grandmother mm. of david the king of david the giant slayer that well not only the giant slayer but the one that mark in his um lineage is very clear to make sure that everyone knows that um that jesus comes from the same lineage mm. as david as king david as the great king Right, so yeah, he's a giant slayer, but he's also, um, in some ways, uh, the the, you know, the most important character, unless you think that Adam and Eve are also part of the most important characters, which people do from a, okay. from a historical standpoint, yeah. or from a, a lineage standpoint. Mm-hmm. There is a, an unbroken lineage in the covenant between Adam to David and David um, all the way to. Um, to Jesus okay and, and so that's that's the connection from a from a lineage standpoint from a from a moral standpoint it is a really powerful detail to understand that um, um, a powerless immigrant woman that her blood joins the blood of of the of the of the clan of the tribe, and is mixed in the blood all the way, moving forward, mm. including Jesus. It lines up in a, in a way that that we Christians can say, look at how, look at how even in Jesus Jesus's own lineage, there is a a diversity, mm-hmm. rather than um, a purity. Because as we talk about how Jesus reached out to the people on the margins, and as the as the early Christian church realized that it's that, that Jesus' love, his his life, his love, his his death, resurrection, not just for the 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 Jews, um, but also for the Gentiles, mm. well, we can point to some degree even this story. You begin to understand that the the promises of God aren't only for the narrow people that we once thought those promises were for. But they also are for you know, the people who come from all kinds of lands and mm. c- all kinds of places. So that's that both in terms of sort of lineage and literary, as well as in terms of sort of moral theological meaning. That's the significance of mixing Ruth in with, with Naomi's lineage.
1: Now, uh, I guess the next, the next question is how is the story of Ruth and Naomi relevant to our faith as it stands today
2: that's a great question and and I think um first and foremost both in terms of our Hebrew ancestors so both for the Judeo part of the Judeo-Christian um tradition this story represents how God remains faithful to the covenant that God enters into with God's people. That even as there are trials and sufferings, and Naomi and Ruth had their share of trials and sufferings, that, that if you can but continue in faith, you will be rewarded with God's love and God's blessings. That's, that's in the, the short four chapters of Ruth, what gets writ large in the, in the Gospels that we Christians claim today. So, um, so the most important theological thread is, is that God, God's paying attention, mm-hmm. God's, God's hand is active in our lives, um and if we can but stay faithful to God God stays faithful to us and the Covenant um uh in in which we are entered that's the most significant thread through it all I could say more um to pluck out from the characters do you want me to say more more is always good so 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 then you 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 know uh, uh, you pluck out um, what each of the characters reveals, mm-hmm. and and so what's what's on display. First of all, from Ruth, is how um, how loyalty, how faithfulness, how selflessness, how courage, how hard work, um, uh, how risk, how boldness, how all those things can be rewarded by and blessed by God. You can pluck that out of all the qualities and attributes that, that Ruth demonstrates over this little story um, uh, and and how she ends up where she ends up at the conclusion of the story. And I think to some degree that's true with Boaz as well. Um, whether he was just smitten by her looks or whether he was moved by hearing uh, about her loyalty to Naomi. You know, who knows? But I think in, in my reading, you know Boaz comes out um, like a pretty fine character um, and like a, a, um, a, a character of an integ- of integrity and a character um, that, that uh, does not seem to exploit um, uh, his opportunity with Ruth, as much as, um, well, to, to, to enter into more deeply his opportunity mm-hmm. with Ruth. So that I would say about Boaz. And then let's go back to the to the start of it in some ways. You've got Naomi mm-hmm. who, who perseveres. You've got Naomi who shows an incredible degree of selflessness herself by um, releasing her two daughters, thinking about their future more than her own, looking at them and knowing that she's got nothing to offer them. Um, Now, she could have tried to exploit them herself, but instead she, she releases them. I mean, so there's real Faithfulness and decency on Naomi's part, as well as more than a little bit of crankiness, mm. <laughs> I would say uh, understandable and well deserved, as well as more than a little bit of, of scheming and, and, and plotting, mm. which you know makes this a, a PG story, not just yeah. a G story. Um, but but so I think that uh, that we learn from the story arc. Mm about God's arc in mm. our lives and we re- learn from the story's characters mm. um, about the kind of characters, mm, the kind of morals to which we might adhere ourselves. Wonderful. Well,
1: Tim, that's about as much time as we have for today. I guess the uh, the classic question we asked of every guest uh, at the end is um, if someone wants to come see you or hear you preach on a Sunday, where should they go?
2: Well, they should go to St. Luke's Church in East Greenwich, um, uh, 99 Pierce Street. Uh, Thanks for giving me an opportunity to plug the church. Um, They wouldn't only hear me preach, but they'd also hear some pretty special music as well. Um, Or if they would like to um, sample St. Luke's from Mm. afar, they can go to um, uh, find us in our live stream service, brilliantly produced um, at um, St. Luke's, East Greenwich, that's the YouTube site, Mm -hmm. Um, St. Luke's, East Greenwich, Rhode Island, we have a YouTube channel Mm -hmm. there. Um, and uh, we live stream at 10.15 every Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, we also um, have recently added a digital evangelism person to our staff, Emma Peterson. Um, she's fabulous. And and so we now even have a, an Instagram account, St. Luke's EG, where we post um, several times a week on Tuesdays. We post a little sermon snippet, a little reel, mm-hmm. with some sort of um, provocative question on Thursdays. We post um, uh, pictures um, that oftentimes fall under the theme of where the divine and the daily meet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have other posts um, such as our celebration of Pride Month this month and, uh, and, and, and Father's Day coming this weekend as well. So Instagram, YouTube, and 99 Pierce Street and East Greenwich, all ways that people can uh, check out St. Luke's Church.
1: Wonderful. Well, Tim, it was a pleasure having you, and uh, I hope to have you on again soon.
2: Taylor, thanks so much, and thanks for the good work you do. It's um, it's it's a gift to the diocese and anyone who tunes in to to um, your podcast, so thanks so much. Okay. G- goodbye.
0: They lived not only in ages past, there are hundreds of thousands still. With the joyous saints who love to do Jesus' will You can meet them in school or in lanes or at sea In church or in trains or in shops or at tea For the saints of God are just folk like me And I mean to be one too Thank you for listening to Tea Time Theology, a ministry of St. John's Cathedral in Rhode Island. We would like to thank our producers, Mo Akande, Ivy Swinski, and Taylor Wilkie. Special thanks to Mo Akande and David Hines for the screen music, and our sponsors, the Episcopal Diocese of Rhode Island and the Right Reverend Nicholas Nisley. Follow us at Tea Time Theology on all social medias.